But, but let's do notice what, it, what is said here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through verse 7. And if you would, let's stand out of reverence and respect for God's word. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, into Jordan, and take thence every man a beam. And let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they come to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Wherefore he said, Take it up to thee, and put out his hand, and took it. Father, we, we bow before you this morning. We pray now that this would be a time that we could put all of our distractions aside just to hear from you. And Father, I pray that you would hear, we would hear from you. And I pray that as you speak to our hearts, that Father, that you would just revitalize and re-energize and, and revive our souls. And I pray, Father, that this could be a time an historic time in our lives as we meet with you and you change us. Father, now anoint this service with power as only you can do. Take control of it as only you can do. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The training of ministers, preachers, was done just a little bit differently in the Old Testament than what we do it today. Today, when a young man surrenders to the ministry, we often send that young man to college, Bible college, Bible institutes, and seminaries. And what happens there is we get a young man and put him in a classroom, and he is taught how things ought to be done. And he has taught the perfect way to do those things. And then we send him out into the church and out into the world, and there's no such thing as a perfect church. And often what takes place is because he wasn't taught how to deal with things as they are, rather than the way he was taught from the perfect environment, his first couple of years in that church become an education in themselves. Can you imagine what it would be like to go to an East Texas church steeped in tradition that's been there 140 years and have their new wet-behind-the-ears preacher come in and say, you know, we weren't taught to do it that way in school. <laughs> you fixing to get taught. <laughs> well, they didn't do it that way in biblical times. The training of a man there was different. He often spent time with the prophet, learning from the prophet in everyday situational life. It wasn't that, that the man of God in, in biblical times went to school as much as he just went to life. And he was literally being mentored by the prophet that he was to take the place of. You know, this is G, how Jesus trained his apostles. 
He took 12 men, and one of the things that they were to do is they were to be with him. And they were able to observe Jesus' life. They were able to observe him preaching. They were able to observe him praying. And as a result of Jesus' mentoring of these men, when he left, they were equipped to take his place. And here in 2 Kings chapter 6, we find Elisha. Elisha the prophet training another group of prophets. They're called the sons of the prophets in verse 1. And Elijah was so successful that a bigger place was needed. Now, in our day and age of downsizing, I find this kind of refreshing, don't you? Elisha's training the prophets. He's training the men of God. And he gets so proficient at it that there are a whole bunch more that want to be trained. So they have to have a place for these men to meet. And you know, Elisha didn't let expansion scare him here. You know, sometimes in a church, if we're not careful, uh, we'll, we'll let the thought of growth bother us. And if we're not careful, we'll have the idea, you know, if we get big, maybe we'll lose some of our, some of our closeness. You know, after we had our first child, we didn't let that idea of losing closeness bother us from having a second child. How many of you said after your first child, we love this child so much, we're so close to this child, we're just going to stop right there? How many of you wish you had, huh? <laughs> no, the expansion was needed here, and Elisha didn't let it bother him there. And, you know, part of our problem today is it costs so much to build. But in biblical times, they didn't do that. They just took an axe, they took their tools, they went out into the woods, and they cut down the woods, and they built a, built a building. I've had the privilege of going to Mexico on several occasions and building buildings down there. The last building we ever built down there, I looked at S.G. Martin, one of our men, on the way home, and I said, you know, what we just built we wouldn't put any of our people in it back in the States. We'd be ashamed to have that on our church property. But they were tickled because they didn't put so much stock in the building as what was going to go on in that building. And these sons of the prophets began to go out and, and, and to build a new building for themselves. And as they did, a strange incident took place. One of them lost their axe head, and Elijah put a stick in the water, and it began to float. Now, I want you to notice, as they went out to build this building, what would the symbolism of the axe head is? Because I, I believe there's a symbolism here that can reach us even as we begin to, to live our Christian lives. First of all, the symbolism of that axe head was it was a symbol of their poverty, You might say, why was an axe head a symbol of their poverty? They had to borrow it. They didn't have enough money to buy their own axe, so they had to borrow it. And you know, when you think about spiritually what we are, we need to realize something, folks. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because he realized that every single one of us ought to recognize how poor in spirit that we really are. Stop to think about it for just a minute. We talk about having eternal life, amen? And we talk about being a Christian. But did you know that eternal life had to be given to us? 
We had nothing on our own. As a matter of fact, we had nothing to buy that eternal life. We couldn't afford eternal life, could we? It was given to us as an act of God's grace. Matter of fact, the the best thing we had to offer God, the Bible says, was his filthy rags in his sight. But God, who is rich in grace, gave us his grace and gave us eternal life when when we, we couldn't do anything on our own. I think also when you get down to it, the, the symbol of our spiritual poverty is seen in the fact that Jesus told us that on your own you can do nothing. Jesus said, without me you can't do anything. And, and unless the Holy Spirit is working and moving and dealing in our lives, we don't have the power to do anything in the Christian life. We literally are poor in spirit. This axe head was not only a symbol of their poverty, it was also a symbol of productivity and power. Have you ever tried to cut down a tree without an axe? When we lived in Louisiana, uh, we had an acre of ground, and I had trees all over that property. Why I bought that property today, I still don't know. Because every six months, we had to trim leaves off off the trees. Now, I, I had a brilliant idea I had my my father-in-law's old saw, and so I'd get out there and saw limbs all day long, all day long. I did that for three or four years and sawed one and had it land on top of my face. And when the guys found out about it, Harold brought his his chainsaw and said, use this, it's a lot nicer. Boy, it's a lot quicker too. We had a tree that got struck by lightning and I had to cut it down. And I started with that old saw. It doesn't work too good. And Harold brought that chainsaw over and bang, it was done in a heartbeat. Without the axe, can you imagine how those guys would have cut those trees to build their house? They wouldn't have. You see, that act spoke of productivity. It spoke of power. And we need to learn in our Christian life that without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be productive. The Bible says that unless, unless he builds the house, that we're going to just labor in vain. Unless we're co-laborers together with the Lord, we're going to just work and work and work, but not get a whole lot done. But you know, folks, if we seek God, the Holy Spirit will give us his wisdom and discernment to make decisions that will just be his decisions. And and the Holy Spirit's power will give us the ability to do what we can't even do ourselves. Have you ever seen folks before and they, they did something and, man, how in the world that guy do that? It was just God's moving in his life. Just God's moving in his life. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to make us productive beyond what we're able to do of ourselves. And I believe that through the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, God can do a work in a church that we would not only be unthinkable, but something we couldn't even dream about. See, our need is to be working with Him so He can work through us. All right, y'all hang in with me? Either that or just hang, okay? But now notice, they borrowed the axe head. They're cutting down the trees. 
and it was lost. How many of you have ever worked with an ax? Then you know if you begin after a few, you need to check the head every once in a while, right? Because it'll get loose and it, it, it will come off. Uh, I was splitting wood, believe it or not, and, and had to learn that lesson the hard way when the ax head came off. Not only do you have to, to, to keep the axe head on, you have to keep it sharp too, right? You really want to get the work done. But as they were working, as they were being productive, as they were getting things ready, the Bible says that the axe head came off and it was lost in the midst of their activity. You know, sometimes we think that the only people that are ever backslidden are the folks that leave the church and go out and live a wild and crazy lifestyle. And sometimes we think those are the only people that are outside the will of God. But you know the truth of the matter is, folks, we can sometimes be so involved in the church and yet be backslidden and lose our anointing. We can get so involved in the church sometimes that we, we just kind of take God for granted. And we lose the awe of who we're serving. Folks, one of the things we don't ever need to do in a church or in our relationship with God is to lose the awesomeness of who God is. Is to lose the awesomeness that this God of heaven wants to have a relationship with you and wants to have a relationship with me. Why would he do that? It's his grace. And we never need to lose the awesomeness of that. I think sometimes we can get so used to God's blessings that we kind of just forget where they came from. Folks, listen. If it weren't for the blessing of God, we'd be undone. You know, there's all this talk about the economy today, isn't there? And uh, if you're kind of like I am, you're waiting for your check, right? <laughs> but you know, the truth of the matter is in America, we've been blessed by God. And we can talk about government stimuluses and we can talk about this and we can talk about that. Folks, the reason that this country has been blessed like it is is because this country has been one of those countries that has clung to God down through the years. Folks, if we want economic prosperity, our nation needs to come back to God. And we don't ever need to forget where our blessings come from. I think sometimes also we can get so busy serving God that we don't have time for God. Mary and Martha are, are the perfect examples. Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house, you remember? Went there for lunch. And you remember what Martha did? Martha welcomed Jesus in, sat at his feet and listened. Remember Martha? I mean, that's what Mary did. Remember what Martha did? Oh, We've got to get just the right meal prepared. Oh, I've got to get this done over here. Uh, we've got to have, have the right place settings here. And, and she was so busy getting everything done for Jesus, she didn't have time to even sit down and talk to Jesus. And Jesus had to tell her, Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about doing all of this and, and you're worried and you're frustrated and you're mad at your sister and you forgot the blessing that's here. That's me. How many times do we in church get so excited about our programs, get so tied up about everything that's going on that we forget Jesus? 
You know how you can always tell when a group of folk forget Jesus in the midst of their program? It's because they're so frustrated and angry and and mad about everything going on. Did Jesus want us to have a program so we can get at each other's throats? No. And he doesn't want us getting so busy in church that we forget our devotional life. He doesn't want us getting so busy in church that we forget just just the joy of spending time with him. They lost their axe head. And notice the despair that 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 axe head brought. Notice verse 5. He cried and said, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. It was borrowed. Have you ever borrowed something from somebody else and ruined, ruined it? When I was pastor of the Ashland Baptist Church in Ashland, we we were constantly having to dig up the sewer lines and replace them because we had trees all over the place in Louisiana, can you imagine? One afternoon, we were having that problem, and, and one of the men came by, and he said, he said, you know, the kind of flat shovel you've got just not going to work. He said, use my shovel. I said, Mr. Ivy, I don't want to use your shovel. Use my shovel. I said, Mr. Ivy, I really don't want to use mine. So I put the shovel in the ground and pulled back and broke his shovel. Alas, master, it was borrowed. (laughs) And he looked at me and he looked at my shovel or his shovel. And he looked at me and looked at his shovel and he picked it up and went home. I mean, (laughs) it was... It wasn't mine. And I felt really bad about it because it wasn't mine. If it had been mine, I wouldn't have thought a thing in the world about it. That's how these guys were. They were in despair. Master, we don't have enough money to buy an axe head. We borrowed one and now it's gone. What are we going to do? And you know, I think spiritually, our problem today is many times in churches is we've lost that anointing. We, we've lost the power of God in our lives and we've lost the, the power of God in our services and we don't realize it. Remember kind of like Samson was on one occasion? Well, the occasion that was his undoing. Delilah cut his hair and he shook himself and he said, I'll just go like I've done before. And the Bible says he wished not, he lost his power. And I think sometimes we're so comfortable in church life that we just don't really have that urge and that, that inward desire to cry out and say, oh God, we need revival. We need revival in our life. To experience revival, you know, we kind of have to have the attitude these folks did. Last master, it was borrowed. Well, I want you to notice what happened to the axe head. Any of you ever lost anything in the lake? I remember I lost my Zebco. What's the beginner Zebco rod and reel? Hmm? 33, 303. It's not the Snoopy, it's the other one. (laughs) My dad and I had been at Lake Tyler all afternoon. We hadn't caught a thing, hadn't done nothing. and, and finally, I said, Dad, I, I'm just going to get up and go get me a Coke or something. And as soon as I left, pop, wing, and it was in the lake. I went in after it. 
I thought, man, it's not that deep. Yep, took two steps and it's over my head. I lost my rod and reel. Can you imagine that? Have you ever tried to find something once it's gone like that? Man, I cast it and cast it and cast it and still couldn't find that thing. I don't think that the fish ate it. But I never found it. And here these guys had lost the axe. It's now at the bottom. And so Elisha said, well, show me the place. And the reason I think Elisha said, show me the place, is because revival is always found where we left God. It's always found where we left God. You know, when Abraham disobeyed God and went into Egypt, when he came back out of Egypt, he went right back to the place where he had left to start with. That's where he found God again, where he left him. And I believe if we go back to the place when we find God, it calls for us to forsake what drew us away from God in the first place. See, so many people today want revival, but they don't want to have to give up the sin that caused the revival, the the need of revival. Folks, if we're going to experience revival, we've got to come back to the place not only where we left God, but we've got to also come back to the place where, where we forsake what caused us to leave God. And I think if we're going to have ever experienced revival, we've got to come to the place where we swallow our pride, where we can confess sin. You think that boy that lost the axe head felt pretty good about himself? Don't you think he was hoping he could blame it on somebody else? But he couldn't. He just had to come up and say, look, I borrowed it, it's gone. I borrowed it, it's gone. And, you know, God wants us sometimes to come to the place where we quit trying to blame people and just say, Look, Lord, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. So if you've been off track, you know where to get back with God? Right where you left him. I kind of like that, that story I heard, and I may have shared it, but I kind of like it, so I'm going to hear it again, about the man and the woman that had been married for 20 years and one day they were driving down the road and she looked over at him and said honey you remember what it was like when we first got married said you used to sit uh, I used to sit close beside you and, and we, we were just such an item together all the time when we, when we first got married and he looked over her and said well I'm still where I've always been <laughs> she was the one that had moved and she had to come back where the move was well they found the axe head and notice they found it by throwing a stick into the water now that dead stick worked a miracle and if we want a renewed love for God you know where we need to go we need to go back to the cross we need to go back to the cross let me show you why Christians We get saved. We've been saved for a long time, most of us. And we get saved. We've been saved so long we take it for granted. And one of the things we forget about the cross is how much God loves us. And sometimes as we go through life, we kind of have this attitude, well, God just doesn't love me anymore. Oh, yes, he does. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Where? At the cross. If you want to see how much God loves you, look at the cross. God gave his only begotten son because of his great love for us. That's all we need to see. We can see that at the cross. 
So if you're here today and you're feeling like nobody loves me, woe is me. Look at the cross. Secondly, when you look at the cross, we can experience his forgiveness anew. Oh, listen, can you, can you remember what it like when you got saved and you experienced his forgiveness? And somebody says, well, Brother Mike, you just don't know what I've done since then. Great, go to the cross and let him forgive you all over again and all over again and all over again. Folks, listen, God wants to forgive. He wants to lift that burden of guilt from us. He wants to enjoy his presence. We need to go to the cross. And so we go to the cross, then we can be motivated to serve the one who saved us through his death. What motivates you? What's the biggest motivating factor in your life? What's going to motivate you in about 15 or 20 minutes to go eat? Food is going to motivate me. Hunger. <laughs> because some food is not worth eating, right? Hmm? Go to the hospital. <laughs> now I can't I can't say that their food was good. What little I got. What 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 motivates us to eat? We have that inward desire, do we not? I, I've often wondered what motivates folks to go to a football game and stand in the rain. And, and stand in the cold and, and watch their football team when they won't come to a really nice place to worship. Hmm? What motivates a person to go to work? Let's see the house note, the car note. <laughs> what motivates a Christian? The cross. When I see what Jesus Christ did for me in giving himself upon the cross, when I see the great love that he had for me, the Bible says I love him. Why? Because he first loved me. Folks, listen, if you can't see Jesus on the cross and if that doesn't motivate us to serve him, then nothing will. I know that we preachers have tried to lay guilt trips on people. I know that we preachers have tried to scare people. But folks, the truth of the matter is we ought to love Jesus because he first loved us and serve him. And as we come to the cross, I believe Jesus will give us cleansing. Cleansing as we go through life. And I believe as we go to the cross, Jesus will just give us the vision to take life by the throat. Now, folks, God has a work for every single one of us here today. I don't care how old you are. It has nothing to do with it. God can use senior adults and God can use teenagers, amen? When God gets through with us, we go home. So God has a work for all of us as long as you're breathing. And God wants us to just do his work through the power of his spirit. He wants to make us productive and he wants to bless us. And as we turn to him, as he blesses us, that's called revival. Now, folks, we need revival in our lives, most of us. And God wants to give that revival today.
And I want to encourage you to turn to him to be productive and to be useful.